How's everyone? Welcome to the final episode of season one of Words Words Speak. We hope you enjoyed the rest of the season so far. Proudly brought to you by Poison City Brewing. Um, I don't know about you, but I've like gradually become more laid back over like the entire season. And I think it's got something to do with how laid back and chilled you feel when you're having yourself a nice little Durban poison. Oh, I'm feeling lager. laid back right now. Yeah, I'm going to lay all the way back. <laughs> so definitely give their beers a taste. They've got three other amazing beers for you to check out, but definitely would recommend the Cannabis Lager. It's got no THC in it, so don't worry. You're not going to end up in the clouds, but you will <laughs> be super, super happy with the taste in your mouth. So, yeah. So for the last episode of Words Words Speak Season 1, we really want to end it off with a bang. And so we we're fortunate enough to bring on Sara, who was the first black African woman to summit Everest. Um, what was more crazy than just the Everest journey itself was also her upbringing in Zambia, along with the other summits that she's already climbed. And more than that, the, the dream she set out for herself for the future mm. has really resonated with me and makes me want to dream a lot bigger it's made you want to dream a lot bigger yeah for sure and i certainly hope it makes you guys dream a lot bigger and so just from our side thank you so much for season one we've had i've had an absolute chore yeah same thanks so much for tuning in guys um we hope you enjoyed it we really enjoyed putting it together so yeah um hopefully we're looking forward to season two um yeah and thanks again for listening cool shake and bake So where do we even start this thing? Firstly, thanks for coming down from, from Joburg. Uh, how was the trip down here for you? Um, it was great. I came in last night. Okay. Um, actually, probably yesterday in the evening. Yes. I uh, had a few meetings this morning. So um, the only thing is, I think I brought the bad weather. So it raining just now. Jeez. Hey, yeah. You came down on a fantastic day. I mean, I think this is the coldest day of the week for me. Oh, really? Sure. Yeah. But... I don't know. I don't even know how to get into this conversation because am I supposed to start approaching it from the Everest thing and every single interview <laughs> I see of you is yeah. Everest and I'd love to get into that. But yeah. before that, I'd like to get, get to know you more on a personal level. So what yeah. was your upbringing like? What was growing yeah. up in Zambia like? And how did yeah. you make that transition across to South Africa? Yeah. Um, so I was born in Zambia, um, but I spent my primary school years in uh, the DRC. It was called Zaire at the time. Okay. Um, was brought up by my grandparents. They were missionaries in the in the DRC at the time, um, and uh, I was born um, Sarah with an H. Um, but at the time, uh, Mobutu Seseko was a banga who was the president of the DRC. Did not want African children to have European names, um, and he demanded that every child that's entered into grade one must have an African name. So my grandfather changed my name from Sarah to Sarah, which is why there's a Y on my name. Yes, yeah, we had a great debate this morning yeah. about how to pronounce. Yeah, it. <laughs> that's Sarah. I get a lot of that Saray and all sorts. Okay. Um, and and I was I'm one of seven girls. I've always been the tomboy of the lot, um, always been adventurous, but um, climbing mountain was not something that I had ever thought about, yeah. even though my grandfather had a, a, a hill behind our house. Um, and, and I used to love playing on top of that hill because I would see all the neighbors' um, roofs uh, and I would see just beyond the horizon and wondered always what, what was up there. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I 10, 13, after my primary school, 
I had to go to um, Lusaka, which is in Zambia, uh, yeah. to stay with my mother. Um, and that was interesting because I could hardly speak English. All I spoke was Swahili, Kinyarwanda and French. Okay. Um, and uh, struggled at school because all I passed was science and mathematics, you know. Yeah. So I took a year off to try and learn English and, and get back into it. Um, and uh, the other thing that's interesting is uh, I was one of those kids that subsequent to that went to school with a letter to say she can't do sports, um, you know, until I uh, I finished my A-levels, which I did in, in actually in um, Harare. Um, because I then subsequently moved at 18 to um, to Zimbabwe, where I stayed with an aunt of mine. Um, and um, yeah, my ambition was to study medicine. Um, I didn't get to do that. I went into computers. Then there was a lot of noise about Y2K. <laughs> yes. I I did complete my diploma in um, computer programming, went back to school and did accounting uh, an accounting degree with a minor in computers. Um, got married, came to stay in South Africa in twenty in nineteen ninety nine. Actually, um, I have two boys, um, you know, twenty two and uh, sixteen, um, and I work. I work hard. I absolutely love my job. Initially, wanted to do accounting, but found it a little bit monotonous. Different numbers, but same process. Yes. Um, so I left the promise of a permanent job at the Department of Public Works as a state accountant and joined EBAX 10 months after it was started. Cool. Um, Sorry, just to go yeah. right back, where where did that motivation and that that craving for lack of intellect and intelligence start from? Yeah. Was it something you got a lot from your grandparents? Was yeah. it got so, from your mother? So a little bit from my grandparents as well as my mother. Um, I mean, growing up in the in the township, there was always this um, thing of shame. You've got seven girls; they're going to end up being people's wives. And my mother, as a single mom, just was not going to have that. So she would come into the house and say, "Hey, you can be what you know. The sky is the limit. You know, yes. um, you can be what you want to be. Nobody can dictate what you should be." You know, um, and and I seem to remember even now that they were always they always wondered, uh, you know, how she did stuff. She is not very educated. She's um, seventy four years old. She's turning seventy five this year, but she just she can sell ice to an Eskimo. She just you know um, does stuff on her own. She was one of the first people to do import and exports, um, and. Um, and also, she had this thing of, it didn't work, it's not because of you. Just get up and do it again, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that, I think, is, is something that we all, uh, my sisters and I, took from her. And she prioritized school. So I wasn't one of those kids that went to school. We all went to private schools. She made sure she paid for it. She made sure uniforms were done. But she would never give you a cent more. She would tell you there's bread and butter at home. Pack up. No, and, you days. Know, no <laughs> not, not allowed. Um, and anything, if you said you needed extra lessons, she'll get it done. Um, but no fancy clothes and, and stuff, no. Um, you know, you, you just realize, she made us realize that um, nothing comes easy. You have to work hard and prioritize um, education, which I appreciate a lot, which is why I'm very passionate about educating the African child. So we're... Did your mother write the letter saying you weren't allowed to do sports until you finished A-levels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she would write, like if there was a sports season at, at, at school, yeah. and I'll say, I need to stay for um, sports. She's like, no, nah, 
they know right um, especially for me because she had this thing where she said oh no you've got there's something wrong with your chest so after i climbed kilimanjaro and i started doing a lot of running and and stuff i i called her out on it so what exactly was wrong with me she says no when you were born you couldn't breathe properly it was just uh, yeah she just it wasn't a priority and she didn't see us succeeding in sports uh, more than anything yeah and that was her way of doing things yeah but then as a um as a tomboy like yeah. what kind of activities physical activities would you dive so, into then during yeah. these years so i did i had a bicycle i was one of the few kids that i had a, had a bicycle and i did that because my grandmother had a bike okay and she would um she would cycle in the neighborhood she would cycle to the field so we had a garden in the yard but we also had a, a field uh, way out out in the outskirts of uh, of town where she planted stuff um, so I would also, like, all my friends were boys. So if they were playing soccer, I was playing soccer. I just didn't do it at school. Um, and I loved camping because um, I was part of a, a group. They're like scouts, but for church. Yes. Um, they're called Pathfinders. Um, and um, and always try to challenge myself because a lot of the girls wouldn't, they wouldn't want to do this, they wouldn't want to do that. That's what I wanted to do, you know. Um, and. And that was just, uh, it was very cool. Um, if my sisters had a problem at school, they called me to sort it out. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, which, so where um, were you between the seven sisters? You weren't oldest? I'm, I'm the second born. I'm okay, the second cool. born, yeah. yeah. And how was it for um, the, like, the rest of your sisters? Where are they now? Because I'm just trying to imagine the input yeah. your mother gave with yeah. you can do anything you want to be. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, three of my sisters are late. Um, the ones that are alive, two are in the UK. Uh, one I'm meeting actually um, today after this. She is, uh, is the COO of the biggest bank in Zambia at the moment. Um, she she went she went on to do um, engineering. She's got a master's from China. She's doing a PhD. So everyone just really pretty much um, you know followed their own paths. Uh, my two sisters in the UK. One um, did computers. Um, after the financial downturn, she had just um left a job to join another one and you know last in first out um so she yeah. was let go she went to do nursing so the two of them are nurses in the uk have been there for more than 10 years now yeah your mother should be like a family consultant <laughs> my goodness yeah. me ceo of the second biggest bank in yeah. zambia yeah the, the biggest bank in zambia yeah my word. zanako it's called okay so now we transition further along Sorry, I'm still have this thoughts in my head. How does your mother, who, okay, growing up in a township, yeah. have seven daughters that she can send all to private schools? Yeah. She, so she had, um, one of the things about my mother as well is that she believed in properties. So she bought land and built um, houses and yes. uh, put in tenants. That's the other thing. We grew up, I, I can make bricks from cement and uh, river sand and all sorts <laughs> <laughs> and she had shops um in the in the market she had as if i remember correctly about six shops she doesn't have them anymore so holidays we all worked in the shops yes. um and um yeah so she bought and sold stuff she would import um whatever is needed at the time i remember one time she was importing and uh, selling pencils and um yeah, stationery for schools 
um, she tenants up to now, I mean, she collects money from the houses that she has. Um, her strategy is a bit questionable now that I've grown up and I look at it and I'm like, because she wanted them all in the same township where she can get to, she can collect her money, you yes. know. Um, and, and now when I look at it, I'm thinking, you could have diversified, you know. <laughs> You're not going to tell but, her that. Exactly. No, absolutely not. She knows what she's doing. Um, but but literally, the, the one thing about her that strikes me is that she wasn't afraid. Um, and she would always tell you that the worst they can say is no, you know. Um, and and so what? You move on. They, they won't stop you from trying again. Um, and, and I think... Uh, in the beginning, we all we, we she wasn't our favorite person. We all used to run to our grandparents um, because she just wanted you to work and work and work, you know. Yeah. Um, and 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 she was a good saver. She didn't spend too much money on stuff that were not needed. Like we need a cloth for, for Christmas. Yeah, we'll sort that out. We needed uniform. Always had new uniforms whenever we needed it. But anything outside of that, no, not necessary. Um, but the, the nice thing about it is we had we still had uh, relatives, some of the uncles and aunties in the DRC, in Tanzania, in Zimbabwe, where I eventually went to. So we traveled a lot. So holidays, um, if we needed to go and visit any of our relatives, she, she was like cool with that. Okay. I remember when I finished um, one of the holidays in Zambia um, and uh, I just wanted to go to Botswana with a friend of mine. Uh, because my mom used to go and buy stuff in Botswana and come and sell. And I said to her, but I need to make money, you know. And we just got on the bus, two of us, and we went to Botswana um, and, and came back and we went to Tanzania. So um, traveling, even though it wasn't like we're traveling for holidays, we're like traveling to relatives, we pretty much uh, were able to do that from a very young age. And, and that allowed me to almost quickly learn languages. Um, and um, and also interact with people easily if I'm in an uncomfortable um, environment. A good example is I couldn't speak English, so kids are not are not forgiving. They're very nasty, you know, the the accent and whatever. Yeah. So I get there, learn the language very quickly, and fit in. You know, they say when you're in Rome, do like the Romans do. I was forced to be that, you know, um, and me and my sisters as well. So traveling has never and, and accepting diversity like it doesn't matter where people come from you know I, I can learn something from them and they can learn something from me that was not something you needed to be taught it was like obvious you know yes. uh, my older sister was married to a Malian uh, one of my younger sisters is married to a, um, uh, an Irishman um, um, yeah and uh, one is was married to a Zimbabwean so we we pretty much um, yeah United Nations in our house. <laughs> yeah. And what was it like growing up without a father? Yeah. So I didn't really feel it for the mere fact that my grandfather was that father figure. Yes. Uh, and what is actually interesting is that I didn't know my mom was my mom until I was 13 because I called my grandmother mama and my grandfather papa until at some point I said, this auntie is always bringing me presents. Um, you know, then I discovered, oh, She's actually my mom. And these are actually my sisters um, because I was in the DRC and my sisters were in Zambia staying with her. So why were um, you the only one sent to and not, Me and my older sister because we, we have a different father okay. to, to the rest, yeah. Wow, okay. Everything's kind of clicking now. Yeah. So then you move across 
down to after after Zambia you go down to Harare with your yes. A levels? Uh yes. I went and did I actually finished my O levels one year and did my A levels. Okay. Um and um then did my um a diploma and uh university um first degree at Solusi University which is in Bulawayo. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So then you go through your successful businesswoman. Yeah. Then you come across the opportunity to do Kilimanjaro for a yeah. good cause. Before Kilimanjaro, what was the greatest physical challenge you had endured? Absolutely nothing. I was really, um, you know, I was all about, I need to go up this corporate ladder Mm -hmm. um, until one day I'm sitting in the office at at seven o'clock and I get a call to say my older sister had died. And I remember I was, um, there was just two of us. We were at the time, I was um, head of, oh no, I was uh, an innovations manager in the Ebux um, environment. Yes. And the other uh, innovations manager and I were the only two in the building. And I, I just remember crying and figuring out, trying to figure out whether the world actually will ever know her except for how dynamic I thought she was. I mean, she got married, moved and lived in Thailand for 13 years. Um, and um, I wondered whether she had done what she was meant to do in the world. Um, and that kind of started started an internal conversation with, with me, you know, um, whether what I was doing was enough, what I was doing actually made, made a difference. Um, and the answer was no. You know, so um, after this incident, I started searching, you know, to find something that I can do that will leave the world better than I found it. Um, and that journey took me from resigning from the first rent. I lost a lot of shares when I did that and joined the post office. Um, and I went to work at the post office. It was just after Zuma had won elections. And my thinking was, that's a way I can give back um, because there were all these people, John Fenter being one of them, that were looking at how SADC was going to open up. Um, and um, a lot of the guys in SADC will come and bank in South Africa. But if you look at their demographic and, and economic power, they will be almost like the unbanked. And the post office or post bank was well equipped to actually service that type of clientele compared to the big banks who were trying to do Mzanzi accounts and it wasn't really profitable. So the thinking was when SADC opens, those are going to be our clients. We are going to be ready to actually be compete with the big banks, but in that that LSM, the lower LSM. So I thought... This was one way of getting involved in making sure that domestic worker understands about finances, is able to use the financial institutions effectively. Um, and, and that was, in my mind at the time, a way I could give back to be part of that. When I joined, um, it didn't come to fruition, but we worked on a few projects. Um, I, uh, I launched the, the virtual, virtual post office. You, if you go and look, www.virtualpostoffice.co.za, okay. which is like a 3D when you look at it, but when you go in, it's 2D. Um, it's to try and sell um, the uh, stamps to foreigners. We have an amazing collection of stamps, yeah. uh, which is... Uh, uh, like for philatelists around the world, 
um, actually um, buy from South Africa. And what the post office was doing at the time is like, send us the three first pages of your passport, send us the back and the front, like fax it to us, the back and front of your credit card. And it'll take like three weeks or four weeks to, to like, process your transaction. Yeah. So I used my knowledge from um, from eBucks, uh, launching the eBucks shop, um, and we formed this, um, this website. You could, it's showcasing what we wanted the post office to to look like in real life you know so you could renew your post box online yeah. you could buy your stamps online irrespective of where you were at in the world and subsequently they also added um, you can renew your drive uh, your uh, license your motor vehicle license online yes. and um, I did that in 11 months while I was there mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately was uh, I had to leave I was headhunted by discovery when there was talks of uh, you know launching the discovery bank I was employee number two I joined uh, a guy that uh, had come from FNB Robert Cape yeah um, and, and I left mainly because there was a lot of there was a lot of energy in the boardroom at the post office but it wasn't trickling down to to the branches and to the people. Yes. Um, there was a lot of misalignment. Um, the bulk of the bottom line was contributed to by letters. But when you ask people around the table, none of them had sent letters in a long time. So it's failure to realize that they were in a communications business, you know, and looking at what we could do with like the delivery network. They have the biggest delivery network, which DHL, um, Korea Direct, all these other Korea companies can use, really. Yes. Um, and um, yeah, I think it's just the thinking in terms of people that had been there long for a long time and that I didn't feel that I could make that change um, that I wanted to do. So I moved to Discovery. Yeah. So this whole time you're thinking a lot of the time that like, I'm going to be trying to make a business change and make yeah. a business that changes everything. Yeah. So then where... Where does this come along now with Kilimanjaro, where someone's like, hey, <laughs> Sarah, would you like to... To go to Kelly? Yes. So so I, I went into the discovery environment. While there, we were supporting a home in Binoni, um, you know, and, and the idea was they looked after 180 to 200 street kids. Um, the idea is how do we, you know, incorporate these kids into a normal way of life, where yeah. they know how it feels like to be part of the family, they know how to interview etiquette, how to order on a menu, um, and every month um, is a team um, of um, a CSI. I love that initiative. Yeah. It's amazing. We're like a CSI team. We'll go around the office and ask people to contribute money, and we'll use that money once a month to take those kids out, either on a hike, um, or um, to a restaurant. Some people would even take them to their homes. And I started taking my boys there as well. Um, yeah. One of the things that I noticed change is when you said, eat your food, because there's a kid that, does, that doesn't have food on the street, they actually knew a kid that didn't, you know. And it changed, it changed perspective for my yes. children as well, which was um, quite beneficial. Um, over time, what we picked up what their needs were. So... The kids that were doing my trick used to live in the same houses as younger kids. So when they were doing homework on the dining table, the other kids would be making noise, would be trying to eat. Um, so they needed a, a place where they could do their homework. Uh, so we thought maybe they needed a library. Um, they also had a big ground where they were, they were staying, but there was nothing to play with, except if people donated a ball or they would make a ball out of plastics. Yeah. So we decided that they needed a, an outdoor gym. 
so the main project was we were going to build them an outdoor gym and the outdoor gym was going to cost 200,000 rands. Um, so we, we, we sold our Kili experience. We all paid for ourselves. There was five of us. Yeah. And we raised money um, and uh, through Give and Gain with friends. Um, and we built them an, an outdoor gym worth 200,000. We renovated a, a storage room that they had and turned it into a library. Um, Come on. And that's, yeah, that's where it all started. And so the actual Kilimanjaro experience for you? Yeah. Was it? Did yeah. you realize, hey, I'm, I'm actually an adventurer, I'm a mountaineer? Or no. did you come back and say, wow, <laughs> like that experience was dreadful, but I love the yeah. output? Well, it's hard so, to describe so it to the, you. The, the experience was interesting. I was one of the fittest in the group. Um, and uh, I bought stuff from a shop that I won't mention, stuff that they claimed was waterproof, wasn't really waterproof yeah. so it was a crappy experience but what i did we went in the rainy season our idea was <laughs> quite romantic we we're going to summit on the first of uh, january 2013 so you know be ushered into the new year with a bang um the first day the days before the summit i ran up i mean i i kept up with um the porters every time we got to the next camp i was there first and uh, which is something that you should never do is it a competitive streak uh, probably okay. but uh, more importantly i just did not want to get wet because yes. the, the rain was just yeah terrible so now you're um, climbing too exactly fast. exactly okay. i was climbing too fast i didn't drink as much water because i didn't want to pee in the process because yeah the conditions were just not what i was expecting uh, and then when you go to barafu which is the last camp yeah. I had the worst altitude sickness of the lot. Eh, because I wasn't drinking water, knowing what I know now. And I also rushed up. Um, so the guide... Um, what kind of altitude sickness was it? The headaches? Um, so I didn't have a headache, but I, I was nauseated. Oh, okay. Like, terrible nausea. Um, and I was just weak as I was going to Stella Point, which is um, just before the summit. Yeah, I've done um, that well. Yeah, so um, Dixon was like, do you have a headache? Um, Dixon was our... Um, our guide and he I said no I don't he says you can do this you know so just walk slowly don't need to compete with anybody and walk behind me not yeah. in front of him like I did the previous days so um I made it um it pole, was pole. yeah that's, pole, it, yes. pole. that's <laughs> it that's it that's it um and and I summited and coming back when we were handing over the library and the, mm -hmm. and the outdoor gym that's where almost uh, reflection started because one of the kids came to me and said, do you really come from the township? And I wondered, I thought maybe it's this thing of black people don't swim kind of story. Yeah. But no, she just believed for some reason that we, we, we won't be capable of donating something as big, you know. Yes. Um, help is coming from some of the guys that come to visit them from, the, from Germany and stuff like that. So when I went home and reflected on that, I realized that maybe my kids needed to re to see that help comes from within and not from outside. They need to help themselves, um, you know, before they start looking elsewhere. Um, I actually not in touch with that uh, girl or don't even remember um, her name, but I just remember her face so clearly. Um, but she is um, the person that really for me triggered the start of summits with a purpose because then I wanted to climb more, um, but use it to to uh, make a difference yeah so the next one after that did you move to, across to Elbrus or was it south america so i went directly from kili and, uh, and tried to attempt everest 
um, which on hindsight was probably not clever. But before then, I, I went to France, to Chamonix, um, to train, like mountain training, working with crampons, working on, uh, walking on ice. So just, just for training? Yeah, yeah. And how are you affording to do this without a um, uh, look, money I, coming? Look, I, uh, I, I saved up. You know, um, I forgo some holidays. I, you know, I yes. went without some holidays to try and uh, um, and do this. I think if you want it badly enough, you you make it a priority. You yeah. find time to do it. You find the money um, to be able to do it. But where it was different, maybe if I step a little bit back, um, the reason I went from Kili to Everest, my thinking was, let me go. The logic is Kili. Let me go to the next highest and next highest and Everest was going to be the last one. And I was working with a, a guy called Loisy. I didn't even know him. I was yeah. working for Discovery at the time and it's huge. Some guy just puts an appointment in my diary and pictures. He says, he's doing Everest next year. He would like me to join. And I thought, why? He says, no, because he likes this um, thing that I, I climb and I raise money. Um, and he thinks I'm strong enough to join them. There were three of them, Simusiso, Loazi, and Katlero were going to do this um, Everest in 2014. So I said to him, you know, I don't think I'll have enough money to do it for, for the next year. He said, no problem, we'll try and find funding. We wrote so many proposals. <laughs> Nobody wanted to fund this. And we we walked into um, a, one of the executives' office uh, with him, of course. Loisi had been at Discovery for a really long time. And um, uh, Barry Swartzberg, I remember he asked us a few questions. Why do you think you can do this? You know. Yeah. And we said, we can. This is the plan that we have. And he just says, okay, you give us half a million rands. It wasn't enough for um, for the expedition, but we said, okay, we'll put it into the pot and we'll fund the rest ourselves. It's better than us funding the whole amount on our own. Um, unfortunately, Loisi uh, pulled back uh, for family reasons, um, and Skosiso and I actually went in 2014 um, to attempt Everest. Um, when we went to Everest, as you probably know, um, you know, shapers died. There was a yeah. Sirak that fell and we lost 16 shapers and the mountain was closed. Despite mm -hmm. the mountain being closed, um, one of the interesting things actually when this happened is I had to make a decision whether this is something that I really want to do because... Like were you thinking, oh, is this a sign that I shouldn't be doing it? it possibly, or? you know, because of all the people. Mm -hmm. You read about people dying on Everest. You don't expect to go mm -hmm. and actually see people dying, you know. Um, yeah. I got out of my tent and actually saw them picking bodies um, from the Sirak and bringing them onto Everest. Yeah. And I saw people that had been climbing forever picking up their bags and running away from, from the mountain because everybody was uh, worried about how unstable the route was. Yeah. Um, so that year I climbed a few, I climbed Mira Peak um, in, uh, in the Himalayas. I also climbed uh, La Boucher East, which is about 6,119, um, and uh, really practiced what I had uh, trained in, mm. um, in, in France, um, and came back home a little bit disillusioned. There's something that happens to you when you come back from these expeditions where you're on this high of a certain level yes. um, and, and you look at what people think is important and you start questioning that. You know, so yeah. I was a bit disillusioned, uh, maybe a little bit emotional. I quit my job <laughs> and I went to Russia. <laughs> um, 
I went to Russia for for a month. I climbed Elbrus. I did the traverse where you climb on one side and you actually go down on the other. So I went from the south to the north. Okay. Um, uh, we were meant to do that in about 10, 12 days. Um, I did that in about six. Um, and wow. then went to left my stuff in this small village at the airport in Eloka. Took my backpack um, and went to Moscow, toward Moscow. Uh, got onto the train, went to St. Petersburg, towards St. Petersburg. Um, you know, living really in um, all these Airbnbs, you know. Yes. Um, TripAdvisor was my friend. Yeah. And um, then I came back home and I realized that, oops, I need a job. So mm. I uh, I started working at Momentum, which is where mm. I am until now. Yeah, because when I saw it, when I, <laughs> when I stalked you on Facebook, yeah. it was like, um, like all your past jobs. Yeah. And I was like, geez, you've been at so many different places. Yeah. It's probably between all of those expeditions decided yeah. to lose yeah. it. Yeah. And so but I spent 10 years at First Rand. Um, I think thereafter, then 11 months at the post office, four years at Discovery. Uh, yeah. Uh, three years at Discovery. And um, yeah, I've been with Momentum ever since. But I do have, like, I'm a director at the uh, MMI Foundation or Momentum Metropolitan Foundation. Mm. Um, and I've got my own directorships that may confuse people on LinkedIn, but... Um, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to take a look yeah. afterwards. Cool. So then, I know you you looked at doing Everest twice, but also the second time you tried to go again wasn't yeah. possible. Yes, 2015, um, that I sponsored 100% all of it myself. So 2014 was partly sponsored. Um, and that 2015, uh, what made it made it a little easier is because the, my permit was still valid because okay. they had closed the mountain previously. Um, then there was the earthquake. Um, I was at Camp 2 when the earthquake happened. Um, Did you feel it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, everybody felt it. Yeah. yeah. We, we were on the Western Kum, which is between Everest, Numte, and Lotse, walking on the glacier. Excuse me. And suddenly the glacier started cracking and shaking beneath us. Oh, so no. So my shepherd turned around and hooked his carabiner into my harness. And he's like, we're jumping, you know. So if the crevasse opened beneath us, my my, my duty at that point was to make sure that wherever Nawang was was jumping to, I jump onto the same side because if we jumped onto different side, we'll both fall into the crevasse. Um, which sounds crazy, but Nawang is. Sorry, like, how deep can these glaciers go? When <laughs> oh no, not? some of them go um, too deep that you can't see. So oh, dark down there. <laughs> um, some of them are, are pretty low. Um, yeah, some of them are so wide that for you to cross them, you actually have to go down into them and then go up onto the other side on a ladder. Um, some are yeah. close enough that you can put um, two joint or three joint ladders um, to cross yeah. them. Um, but uh, I didn't worry about that. For some reason, he was confident, you know, we're jumping onto one side, we're doing this, you know. Um, and it felt like five minutes. Yeah. Um, apparently it wasn't, it was about a minute or so. Um, then when it stopped, he, he just lifted his, um, his glasses. And remember, this was a year after the avalanche killed yeah. um, Shepherds. Uh, and he said to me, Sarah, we are okay, right? Um, and then tried to remove the carabiner from my harness. And suddenly what we didn't realize, the earthquake had shaken the three mountains around us, Lotse, Numse, and Everest, and they all started avalanching towards us. Remember, we are in the in the on the river almost. And Did you hear it before you saw it? Oh yeah, yeah. Because it's like, 
Yeah, then uh, Nawang started praying. Oh, Mani Pemewong. This is uh, like his yeah. Tibetan. I mean, he's a Buddhist. So they, they have this prayer that they teach you um, at base camp. So yeah. when you get to base camp, before you go into... Sorry to interrupt you. I think he just found some footage now. So this is yeah. the one in 2015. Yeah, that what, is, that's it, actually it, base camp. That is base Were camp. you there that day, 25th yeah. of April? Yeah. That's it. That's it. This is after the earthquake because the, after twenty after the avalanche. Oh. No, this is the avalanche day. Yes. Yeah, this is a flipping avalanche day. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I is this is this uh, yeah, is this not um, the earthquake? Yeah, it's 2015. It's the earthquake. Uh, so for those that yeah. listening to the audio, we're just watching. Yeah, the, this is this yeah. is actually the earthquake. It's 2015. I wasn't at base camp. I was at uh, the Queenstown Cove. So you were higher than that. I was higher than oh, that. No chance. Yeah, but they had it worse because the guys at uh, base camp, 18 people died. Um, there's a mountain next to base camp which is called Pumori, so it released all the rocks. So the rocks and the avalanches fell down. Um, and like some people were hitting their heads. You, you see that? That's like crazy. Uh, for those yeah. that are listening to the audio, go check out Hit by Avalanche and Everest Base Camp. Yeah. 2015, it is. Yeah, so this, this 2015, this was actually caused by uh, the earthquake yeah. uh, on the 25th of, um, of April 2015. Um, yeah, so let's maybe move across now to your, yeah. your first real attempt yeah. where this started because. I heard that was just a, excuse my language, shit show. Yeah. Um, in terms of the 2015 or the subsequent one? Uh, the 2017 one. 2017. Oh, yeah. So 2017, um, I went back um, a lot more stronger. I mean, there's a few things that I changed with my training. When yeah. I went the first time, all I did was gym work. Um, I started uh, running and cycling. How do you train um, for the altitude? Um, I do have a hypoxical tent, okay. um, which actually this year I didn't even use. Um, I, I used it in 2017 um, before yeah. my attempt. Um, I also, How does that work? So it, it, it allows you to reduce the amount of oxygen in your tent where you sleep overnight to up to 7,000 okay. meters above sea level. So it reduces the amount of oxygen in the tent and that you're able to increase the red blood cells and cope with altitude. Yeah. Um, they reduce the oxygen at a high altitude. Um, one of the interesting things where that happened, so 2016, I couldn't afford it. Um, so I continued saving up, um, waiting to have enough. In 2017, I was able to go back. But before I went back on the, 20, on the 8th of August, um, 2016, mm -hmm. I was doing a, a stage race, mountain bike. Um, the first day, I think we did about 60 kilometers. Um, the second day, at the 34th kilometer, I was coming down uh, a mountain. What I didn't realize is that I had lost my back brakes. Um, and uh, I came down and just when I tried to brake to stop myself, I was thrown off. Um, I just remember waking up three weeks later in Mill Park. You woke up three weeks later? Yeah, I was in a coma for, for three weeks. Um, and, and what is interesting, everybody says the mountain is dangerous, but the mountain bike almost killed me. Um, it's, um, 
that was yeah that was one time where i actually thought maybe this is not going to happen maybe yeah. all those people that were saying you know um you can't maybe they were right you know um so i was in a coma for three weeks i had a very bad i mean i'm quite scarred up i cracked my uh, my skull um it um i broke my arm first time i had ever broke anything actually no. um and uh and then i woke up and because i didn't realize where i was if you uh, if you knew me before my voice wasn't as hossy so i pulled okay. the pipes out um because i was just so confused um it affected my vocal cords um and then stayed in icu for one week um and um then i was discharged I went home, I started walking, uh, like 20, um, in, in, in 2016, September, couldn't run because I was told if I fall again, it's just not going to be kosher. So then um, you thought, well, yeah. if I can't run, let's do Everest instead. <laughs> if I can't cycle, <laughs> let me run because, let me walk and then let me run because how far can I fall, really? Mm. Um, it, the other thing that was going through my mind is um, we, we, we had an opportunity where the people said there was budget at the Ministry of Sports to take the first black African female to the top of the world. And we went there um, and uh, I actually invited other women because my thing was, it wasn't about me. It was, this record must be broken. I, yes. I didn't care who it was. That's interesting. So I, yeah. I, I invited other women um, and when we got there, we just were not aligned. Um, and it came out through there that they didn't think any black African female was ready to summit Everest, which infuriated me because I felt that we were being judged based on what we looked like, where we came from, and not our capability. You know, if we were not, what were they going to do to actually make sure we're ready? Because we, we it was one of our ambitions. Um, so coming out of that, I, I just decided that I'm going to, I had a lot more um, appetite to actually do this. Yeah. Um, because then um, it was my way of contributing to the fact that people need to change how they see people. It's, you know, it's about their capability and not about what they look like, white, black or white. Or, or yellow, I mean. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, so that accident kind of just, I struggled mm -hmm. with it because it was like, now I really can't, you know. Um, anyway, so I started walking in September. Um, I started running in, in uh, October. I had a Soweto Marathon entry, which none of my friends wanted to take away from me. Um, and uh, Soweto I'll Marathon is there. <laughs> there. I think I'm unlucky. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so in uh, November, Soweto Marathon was there. And I thought, well, let me go and try and do it 21, you know. Yeah. Um, so I got there and I saw the guys doing 42. We're like, oh, excited, singing. And I'm like, hell no. I jumped the, the line. Uh, and went to the 42 and I did a 42. Um, I finished, I got a medal. I remember jumping the next day. I went to Mayo Park to go and see my doctor. I said, I finished a marathon. Surely, you know, I can, I yeah. can actually um, climb Everest. I don't know whether they believed that I could more than they just thought this crazy woman, yeah. she's not going to leave us alone. Yes. You know, um, you can, uh, you can. So that's how I ended up on Everest again in 2017. Cool. So let's walk through this one. Yeah. Now. So 2017 was was an interesting one. I joined the same company, um, joined the same guide. At the time, he now had 23 years experience. Um, How many we times went, had he uh, summited? 
think the Wang has submitted five because sometimes as they grow older, they just they want to go up to a certain level and don't want to actually take clients all, all the way. Mm. Um, I almost, if I'm not mistaken, took him out of kind of retirement of some oh, sort okay. to, to actually go and Lovely. climb all the way. Um, so um, Nawang and I um, went up. Um, I remember that um, it, when we got to the summit push um, from we started using oxygen from camp two, which is unusual. And there's four for camps. For them, there's what? four camps. Cool. Um, but so why is that unusual? for excluding um, base camp. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. um, because you start using oxygen at camp four, at uh, camp three. So you generally. thought this is already a bad sign? No, so no, no, no. So he said, let's do that because it will keep, it get you stronger. But it didn't. Um, and this year I didn't do that. I started using oxygen from camp three. But having said that, we, we obviously, I relied a lot uh, on him and the guides because I didn't know any better. It was the first time I had to go um, above Camp 3. Mm-hmm. Um, we Above Camp 2, I beg your pardon. Uh, we went and got to um, Everest Camp 4. And you normally do that when the weather window is good. So you believe the winds are going to be um, low enough for you to comfortably summit. Yes. But when we got to Camp 4, I've got some videos of it. The wind was terrible. It was uh, what I now believe, uh, from what they've told us, between 65 and 80 kilometers an hour. So it was crazy. Um, in the night, Nawang comes and says, let's go. First, they're arguing, the shepherds amongst themselves, but we didn't understand what they were arguing about. Um, he's like, let's go. So um, they were, we were sharing ten, the tent, the three of us, me and two other Indian climbers, a male and a female. Mm. We were all first-timers in terms of that, ty- that altitude. So it was a personal best for all of us. Um, and we didn't understand the wind thing. You know, um, that it's too high for us to to keep going. Sorry, and how are you feeling at camp four? Do you still feel like it's I'm struggling, but I can make it? Uh, no, actually, no. There was no struggle. I was tired, yeah. But I could still I could still climb because you 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 use oxygen, supplementary yeah. oxygen. So I was fine. Um, when we started, the guys were in front of me. I passed them. Uh, we went all the way up to um, the south summit, but I was ahead, and Nawang was behind me. When you go to the south summit, when I turned Sorry, around... Sorry, south, south summit, so that's between Camp 4 and the top? Yes, it's so, past the death zone. So maybe... So, I know the movie, it yeah. was the movie. So there's that like ridge, and you have to step up that yeah. section. Yeah, the Hillary step, yeah. You're good. Yeah, <laughs> so there, there is uh, the balcony... Yeah. Right. The, the the balcony, which is about eight thousand four hundred, mm. um, and that is in the death zone. So when you get to camp four, it's about seven thousand nine hundred, um, and you need to go up summit and come back to camp four, yeah. or go further down. So um, the south summit is ninety nine meters from from the top. A lot of uh, the mountains have like a fake summit and a real summit. Um, but uh, the south summit is uh, 99 meters from uh, the top of Everest. Okay. Yeah, so we get to the south summit. Um, so you're 99 meters from the top now? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's flipping windy. Okay, I feel um, sick knowing that and, you didn't make it. <laughs> and I see, uh, I look around, the other guys are not there, and Nawang says, oh, because they're weak, they went back. Um, then I see him walking in front of me, and he's struggling. And at that point, you are really wrapped up. If you're not dropped up uh, like your your carabina is not on the rope um and if you make any mistake you'll be blown off the mountain 
Um, so I said to him, Nawang, I've got extra oxygen. Why don't we go back down and come back the next day? Um, he's like, cool, let's go back down. So we start going back down, but something happened, which I struggled to understand in the beginning. Um, as I was walking and as I was breathing and stuff, ice was forming around my um, oxygen uh, mask. Yeah. And whatever air I was inhaling, I was exhaling the same air, not realizing that the air supply, the oxygen supply wasn't actually getting into me. Had it frozen? It, it, it had frozen. So the, it had frozen around my, uh, my oxygen mask. And I didn't know that. I don't think Nawango so realized. So we come all the way down very close to Camp 4. And I, I said to him, I'm feeling weak, which is strange because the lower down you come, the stronger yeah. you should actually be feeling. Um, and I fainted. He he helped me into the tent. He actually had to leave me because he was also not not okay. He got the other shape as they came. They lifted me up. I was unconscious. We got to the camp, Camp 4, but the winds had blown off our tent. So we lost sleeping bag, like everything was blown off the mountain. Everything that we left in our tent, the three of us, the three climbers was gone. Yeah. So he gets was it, it. Was it a Monday? Yeah. <laughs> don't even remember. <laughs> when you're on the mountain, you don't know the days. Yeah. You're just going with the flow. Um, I so, just, are you, so are you still going in and out of consciousness? Or did you gain yeah, consciousness I'm, I'm, I'm gaining, and, but only for a split second because I remember being lifted. Um, mm -hmm. Then I'm out of it. I know for a fact that uh, Velamina, who's the fourth South African woman to summit Everest, her and her guide were also at Camp 4. Yeah. But her guide came out um, and said, no, it's too windy. So they slept in their tent for two days to wait for the wind to subside before they went up. So it was a bad call going yeah. going up. Um, so anyway, he takes a makeshift tent and puts me there. I think they assumed I was dead. The only thing is because I was gaining consciousness a bit and, and going out, he changed my oxygen tank because remember I had extra oxygen, yeah. which probably uh, is part of the reason I'm, I'm, I'm still alive. Um, then they left me there, um, you know, uh, part of my feet out and uh, it was just yeah it was like, hectic um, how's the frostbite for you did you get it any? was uh, yes I did um, I lost my gloves so I got frostbite in my in my fingers I actually lost uh, the tips of my fingers okay um, I feel the time yeah, yeah yeah I've heard a lot and, about that um, and uh, then um, the next day um, about I think the way six shepherds they came to to pick me up um they came with a stretcher they were yeah. really coming to pick up a body and the reason i know that because one of them who's a, who's also a friend um came and said oh you're alive I'm like of course i'm alive but i was flipping hungry so i'm like i need, <laughs> I need to eat uh and he's like he only has water so he gave me water but i had a lot of goo that i stuffed into my pockets yeah um so i ate the goo and i said i'm not going on to a stretcher i'm walking down so I walked down all the way well, up why to... Why was that? Was that... Because I was could... Was that stubborn Sarah? I suppose it's that, a stubborn side. Yeah. And, and I also felt that I'm strong enough to, you know, to yes. go down. Why yeah. would I want to be lifted? And it's actually when they lift you up on those stretches, it's more dangerous for not just you, but them as well. Because the some places it's just, um, it's a small little ridge where you can't necessarily overtake mm. people. So, yeah. you okay. know, um, but I don't think at that time I was thinking about them. I was just too proud and too like I can do this I yes. can walk um, which is probably stupid but uh, anyway so I was very slow uh, I was just really out of it um, and uh, when we got to base camp um, to camp two 
They put me in a dining tent. That's where I spent the night. Was just flipping cold. And for the first time, I wondered whether the people that said I couldn't do it were right. I think that for me was almost like the lowest point. Um, it's, it's doubting your own capability. Yes. I can deal with other people doubting me. Me doubting me was just a bit much for me. Yeah, time. I can agree with yeah. that. Um, what, what so I was airlifted. Yeah. You airlifted from? Yeah, I was airlifted from Camp Two. Yeah. And wh- what kind of toll did that take on your reflection, just as a mother thinking like I've yeah. got children at home? Yeah. For you to then turn around and say, "Okay, cool, I'm, I want to give Everest another shot." Surely yeah. that's always in the back of your head. Yeah. So, so I think um, for for a long while after I had come back, I didn't. I knew I was going to go back at some point, but. Um, I became a lot more sensitive of family, their thinking, and my kids, uh, my two boys, um, until one day we were sitting at home and my younger son is like, mom, when are you going back to the mountain? And I looked at him, I'm like, do I look bored? <laughs> you know, um, then I realized that they were ready for me if I decided I wanted to give it a go. Yeah. Um, having said that, I always continued saving um, because uh, this time now I needed not only just the the logistics fees, I needed the permit fees as well because my I didn't have a permit at the time. And um, three weeks before I left this year, Loazi that I mentioned to you about Loazi Nguenya who actually told me that no black African female had summited Everest because I thought they had. Because if you look at the, the papers, the people that have, have been onto the mountain, the way they position it, left a lot of vagueness whether somebody had submitted or not. So I didn't know no okay. black African female yeah. had. And Loazi um, convinced me. And when we did the research, we realized, no. And he believed in me. Every time, even when we went to France, I went with him. We would summit a mountain. We would go number one, you know. And it's, um, you know, so three weeks before I left, I uh, got a call to say he had died. Um and that just really got to me. It how, was how either, no, um, I don't know, but it was quite sudden because he had, uh, he had just run the Hong Kong Marathon. Yes. Um, and I knew he was larger than life. Um, and I just felt that rather than making plans to go to his funeral, I wanted to make plans to make our dream, our collective dream come true. Um, and what is interesting that happened is I didn't have enough money. I had more than half of what I needed. But the Friday before he died, he died on a, on a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, I got a call from a company called Vimo to say they want to get involved in this project that I'm doing for 2020, but they don't have too much money. And they were willing to give me less than half of what I needed. So when I calculated what they're willing to give me and what I have, yeah. actually makes up the fee that I need. Mm. So I said to them, um, do you want us to make history this year? You know, um, I like that they, were, they were like, yeah, why not? You know, um, in fact, even when, so I went and cleared my bank accounts and paid my part of the fee, landed in Kathmandu, they hadn't even paid. Um, but I said to the guys, they will pay. If they don't, I'll make sure I pay you, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, they paid part of it. I mean, they even they finished paying their part after my first rotation, which is crazy in itself, you know. Um, yeah, and, and really the rest is history. A few things that I changed this year, you know. I, I decided that 99% of the time when you go with a Sherpa who doesn't have guiding experience, but 
is comfortable at high altitude things will work out fine but the one percent when something goes wrong you actually need somebody that's been trained as a guide yeah so i went with a guide i went with Noah hannah amazing guy has uh, this was his ninth summit uh, of the mountain uh, he's been in south africa for seven years he's irish um uh, originally and um yeah and and also having him there made me not worry about the summit all the time Yes. You know, I worried about getting to Camp 1 or getting up to Camp 2. Mm. Um, and when we get got to Camp 4, he was he made it very really clear. He said, base camp is quite full. He doesn't see a lot of weather windows. Um, he proposes um, that we we actually go and, um, and, and summit during the first weather window. If there are no ROPs, him and the shepherds will put the ropes up for us to, to actually summit. The only thing is we better make sure we are on the summit within 12 hours of leaving Camp 4. If we are not, we better be 10 minutes away. Otherwise, he's turning us back. He doesn't care how much money we paid. So that's a pact that we made. There was four of us, um, him, two other Irish climbers, and myself. Um, and we went up. I mean, I led most of the way up to about the Hillary step. And, and the other interesting thing about me is that, you know, I celebrated a step further than I had I had gone the previous year. Yes. And that's, that kept me sane. I think I worried about just getting to where I had gotten because, you know, um, if it's, it's you, you know, backwards. I wouldn't want to move backwards. Um, yeah, and uh, closer. After the Hillary step, my shepherd and I sat down. Jenny, who was part of the team, went in front of us. Um, and uh, and we summited. It was such a surreal moment. Was it all smooth? Um, yeah, yeah, it was pretty much. Pretty much. Um, the only thing is that ice forming and icing yeah. that happened again. Okay. But this time, no one knew what it was. Uh, so when I said to him, "I'm feeling weak. Something is not right." While we we're coming down, he looked at me. He broke that ice, and changed the oxygen tank, and immediately released. Then I was like, "Wow, fine again." You know, that's why I say, you know, 99% of the time when you're going with somebody that's comfortable at those levels, it's okay. But the 1% of the time, you actually need an expert that knows how to take care of themselves and take care of you. So, um, sorry, is that why you guys didn't hit the, those massive cues that you're seeing on every yes, style? Yes, that's correct. The first one there. Yeah. In fact, if I show you, um, the, I've got a picture of uh, the same place where there's a queue. Yeah that I took uh, while we're coming down, it's clear. We were, I think we were less than 10 people on the summit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've seen crazy pictures. Yeah, there. that's even better. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's Nims, that guy is trying to do the seven, the, the 14, yeah, that's, but what that's if, crazy. So when there's a queue going up, what about you coming down? Because surely so, it's so narrow at certain stages. Yeah, so if you look at that, the people coming down will use that same route. So for you to pass them, somebody's got to sit, really sit on this side. Yes. If you look at that, it looks like it's it's um, um, in, indented almost. Yeah. People sit so that the guys coming from the top can pass. Okay. Or the, car, the guys coming from the top sit down to allow you to pass. Otherwise, you can't. Cool. Um, at some point, actually, Jenny fell off. But because her carabiner was onto the... Um, onto the rope she was hanging and we pulled her back up no um, yeah so yeah. oh no you you guys incurred quite a bad you guys had a loss on the way yeah. down yeah so we, we um, summited and there was four of us um but when we were going down um shemis lawless amazing amazing guy professor from uh, um 
island. Um, he was faster than us, uh, and he went all the way down. Um, although I didn't see it and I wasn't there, I don't know, for some reason, he decided to take off the, the safety. He took off his um, harness, uh -huh. um, and I believe that he was blown off by the wind of the mountains, so he fell off and we lost him. Uh, that changed things a lot. Uh, because you know people die on the mountain. Yeah. Um, I saw shepherds being, you know, fished out of the um, the Kumbu Icefall after they had perished uh, in 2014. But somebody that we spent every day with, we talked to his wife, we listened to his uh, his uh, daughters, uh, you know, singing. Um, I interacted with him. I knew he was ambitious. This was he was the youngest Irishman to step on top of the world, uh, and he was going to break that record. Um, that he's not there. So some of the team members tried to find him. Almost got into trouble themselves in terms of the weather because it yeah. was too windy. Um, I remember everybody went into the tents because we couldn't do anything anymore. Um, the morning, Jenny was his climbing partner for years. She was insisting she's not going to go. She's going to look for him. But our oxygen was also depleting. So I just looked at her and said, listen, dude, you've got four kids. We're getting off this mountain because you're putting yourself in danger as much as you're putting all of us, yes. you know. Um, and we started walking. It was really survival mode, Yeah. really. Um, went all the way. Uh, when we got to Camp 2, for the first time, somebody said congratulations. And I broke down crying because the summit and the celebration wasn't in anybody's mind at that point, you yes. know. Um, yeah, so we slept at, uh, at Camp 2 and uh, went to base camp. A few days later, we tried to go in. The, well, the team, the Shepherds, uh, Noah, who was the team leader, went back up to try and locate him. They did find maybe half of his um, crampon, some of the goggles, um, but we, we never found him. They found his bag below Camp 3. So Camp 4 is way up, so the bag went all the way down. Uh, with ha with his harness, I think if I remember correctly, his um, Kindle, he was an avid reader, yeah. was in there. Um, so for me, I, I, I choose to believe that he was doing what he loved doing, you know, mm -hmm. um, and clinging on to those memories and, and sharing that with, with his family is the best that I can do for now. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, I just need to take a leak quickly. Um, it's one now. Um, we can is that part of the up. video? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you'll probably put it in the video. I must actually show you something that I'm not going to send though. Um, we, well, at Camp 2, we found, um, the shapers found a tent of a guy from 2018. He tried to climb Everest on his own. And I think... So what happens is expedition finishes, everybody's just like scramble for whatever and just leaving. Um, and uh, he got into trouble in the tent and he was on his own. He just remained there and they found him. Come check this out. It's just... Quite well preserved. And his, uh, his watch was still working. That's it's a Casio. That's crazy. Yeah. But watch. Yes. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when they went to set up camp, they were like, oh, 
this tent is still so here. did they take his body down yeah they took his body down usually they ask if the families want uh, the bodies and uh, sometimes they do sometimes they don't want to remember him the way they saw him yeah. so it's cremated um, but yeah anyway anyway so after you summoned Everest you come back to SA first you get a massive warm welcome back into the yeah, country yeah that was crazy did you expect yeah. that no absolutely not in fact um, a friend of mine uh, called me to say she's coming to Kathmandu to help me and I wondered what that was about I thought maybe something happened to my kids you know and they, they're just being polite um, and not trying to shock me um, when I got to Kathmandu she was there at the airport she said no 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 she's coming to help me with the press I'm thinking okay I'm exaggerating <laughs> yeah. but uh, whatever I get to the airport as soon as my name was put into the system there was the BBC the Alliance something French it was like all these people that yes. wanted to interview me I just got so freaked out um, went into the elevator and she's like she's gonna handle it she like gave them appointment she says she needs to rest and yeah so it I came back to a different world that I'm, I'm not used to so naturally I'm an introvert um, and I like my own space with the charities I've had to actually go out in terms of the the Facebook to say this is what I'm doing because yes. I know that um, with other people we can do more um, you know but my private life is my private life, kind of, you know. Um, so that's uh, been interesting. But the reality is I'm not making up anything. It's just my story and telling my story is that yeah. easy. And uh, if I can do it and, and actually bring awareness to things that will leave the world a better place, why not? That's the way I've been thinking about it. Awesome. Coming back to Oartambo, that was also interesting because... Um, you know, I was coming from an economy class with some German guys okay, sitting. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I thought you meant Oratambo. No, no, when, no. Where was, what April were it we was, talking uh, before that? It was Kathmandu. Where's Kathmandu? Yes, the capital city of Nepal. This was, oh, okay. was international media um, before I landed. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. They went to double check in the database to make sure is it really true that no black African female had summited and... Uh, they, they, I mean, I've done a lot like uh, of interviews with international media that are interested in the story. Wow. Okay, cool. So if that wasn't enough of a blow up, then you yeah. get to Oratambo. So I go to Oratambo. Um, I was sitting next to this German guy that was coming from a, for a sales conference. Yes. He's talking about himself the whole flight. What did <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, and, um, and then when we land, I was as shocked as he was because it's like this, like many policemen. That's probably about 30, um, like telling everybody to step down, Mrs. Kumala, come this way. And then I'm thinking, okay, you probably thought, what drugs is she carrying? Yeah. But uh, but that was quite overwhelming. Um, and, and a testament of, you know what, if you want something badly enough, you need to start by being your own cheerleader and the world will cheer you on. Mm. And also the fact that um, even though at many times I felt like I was alone, there were people that were cheering me on. Um, and it's maybe one way of making it easier for future mountaineers to get the airtime that they deserve than I did. Well, yes, I see that. Yeah. So how's that changed for you now? Are you still at the same job? Because I see you do motivational speaking now. Yes. How's the NGOs? Yeah. Tell me about what's happening now in the so, life of Sarah. So this year when I, I, I summited, um, I uh, did it for mm -hmm. the Dr. Tandi Foundation. 
Okay. Um, she looks after orphans. She adopted about 25 orphans. Yeah. Um, about 17 or 16 of them have graduated, so from primary school to university. She doesn't only just pay tuition. She makes sure they have transport, they have a place to stay, like everything. Um, and that attracted me because it, it is, she was passionate about, um, you know, changing the narrative for, for the African child. Um, the reason I'm talking about her in past tense is because last Saturday she passed away in a car accident. Um, and um, it's given me motivation to actually support I'm the sorry. NGO even more. Um, thank you. She's being buried today, actually. Um, so it's not my own NGO. I do have my own NGO. Um, but what I'm doing is identifying people that are doing amazing work um, in terms of education and changing the narrative yeah. um, and, and supporting them because I still have a job. In terms of my job, I am, I'm still working. Mm -hmm. um, because of my previous experiences, I try for six months to stay calm so that I don't make emotional decisions. Having said that, um, finally, um, I found a sponsor to pay for the rest of my expeditions. So I'm doing the Grand Slam, which only 67 people in the world have done. Yes. And I'm starting soon. Um, so Everest was my fourth. I yeah. need to do the remaining three mountains, the North Pole and the South Pole. And I'm hoping to finish that soon. So um, what's the what's the next one? I'm hoping to do Custom's Pyramid first. Okay. Um, then I've already paid a deposit to do the South Pole and Mount Vincent in December, January. Oh, so you can do two at once then? Yeah, that's uh, correct. I don't um, know about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it's expensive to go to the south, so I might as well okay. just um, you know do it once and for all. Uh, and God willing, I want to do Everest again from the north side. Yeah. Okay. Well, all the best for that one. <laughs> Thank you. Do you. Are you interested in all on doing any of the summits with your boys? Um, yeah. So I've tried to hike with them. They think it's boring. They're doing a bit of rock climbing. <laughs> They're like, it's too long. But but I think they're too young. Yeah. At some point, you need to be passionate about it. Yeah. You know, um, you you need to do it for the right reasons. Yes. So I support them in what they do. My younger son is um, part of. Uh, he's an under th under sixteen for uh, vets football club. Wow. So um, I support him with that. And, okay. Uh, I think one of the interesting things that we did this year is I wrote down what I would like to achieve, um, you know, this year. And they wrote what they would like to achieve and I asked them how they can support me and I asked how can I can support them. Uh, and none of their entries had mountain climbing. <laughs> but, um, but I think it's, uh, I just strongly believe that climbing for me has become a family sport. Because even though I'm the only one climbing, other people are just as worried, um, you know, so... You kind of it needs to be inclusive for it to work yes yeah well that's amazing i've really enjoyed this podcast thank with you. you and uh thanks for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join Appreciate us it. and yeah i think that's a wrap for first season of words words speak and all the all the best of luck with your future ventures um we'll put all the details of all the ngos you're supporting in the podcast Fantastic. as well and guys can get a bit more exposure on that yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. I really appreciate this. Sure thing. Take care. Cheers. Thank you.